0: following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. From Michigan where I used to live. they rode their motorcycles from Detroit down here to Houston, so I thought I should spend some time with them. And uh, the amazing thing about it is even though people hear that I like to ride motorcycles and they almost automatically jump to Harleys, uh, I, I actually ride a Kawasaki, you know, Asian guy, Asian bike, that kind of thing. <laughs> Plus, people in the ministry usually can't afford a Harley. So uh, Kawasaki costs about a third of what the uh, Harley does, and uh, it rides just absolutely Amazingly. So it was a a fabulous time when you have friends like that. I haven't seen them for about five years. But it's 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 a real treat when God gives you people in your life that after five years of being apart, you connect and you start talking and laughing like you just haven't been apart at all. So that was a really great treat. Well, there's an amazing rivalry in California between USC and UCLA, especially when it comes to football. USC has always been the dominant force and every once in a while... UCLA can somehow jump in there and and have a little bit of life. One particular year, no one really expected much to happen, even though they have this huge rivalry, and USC was picked as one of the dominant teams of the nation. UCLA, everyone just sort of dismissed as another rebuilding year. But it really doesn't matter when you get together for those two teams, no matter what their records are. And when they met, finally toward the latter part of the season, it's very clear the USC, with their record, was one of the dominant national teams. And UCLA, with their record, was one of the teams that no one really thought much about. But as soon as the kickoff began, everyone can sense that this was going to be a hard-fought battle on the gridiron. And sure enough, toward the end of the game, USC was only ahead by a point. They couldn't get the ball anywhere down the field. They had to kick it off. UCLA got it, and they just marched down the field. And within the last few seconds of the game, they stopped in the 30-yard line, The coach looked at the clock He knew that they were behind by one. They only had enough time to send out the field goal kicking team, so they did. And the field goal kicking team was out there, and everybody in the stands were on their feet. They could sense that there was a possibility of a huge upset on the making. People were shouting and screaming, and the thunderous noise was just overwhelming. The coach was very confident in his kicker and his kicking team. And there's one thing that a coach wants from their kicking team, and that is the same thing done the same way like it's been done thousands of times. You don't want to do anything creative, anything weird. So the coach was really alarmed when he just looked down in the field and the kicker was shouting and gesturing wildly at the the center. And the center was gesturing and shouting wildly back at the kicker. The coach almost called for a timeout, but then things settled down. So he let transpire what wanted to transpire, and he hiked the ball, and the ball was placed, and the kicker went up there, just like he had done thousands of times before, kicked the ball, right through the uprights, and they won the game. The stands went wild. The only thing Coach was really curious about was not the thrill of the win, but what in the world was going on in the field between the kicker and the center? So when he finally grabbed the kicker, and he pulled him over and says, what was all that going on out there anyway? Kicker looked at the coach and says, Coach, when you sent me out in the field and the offensive line came in, they they all slapped me on the back so hard and told me good luck that they they popped out both of my contacts. (laughs) And I could not see. So I was yelling at the center, I can't see. And the center says, line up here, a little more left, a little more right, then a little bit further back. Now, you're ready. So that's, that's what happened, coach. So when I kicked the ball, I could not see the uprights. I could barely see the ball. So, coach, it was a kick of faith. And in the midst of all that noise, that's the last thing the coach heard from his kicker before they carried him off as a hero of the game. And I want you to remember that during this football season, Because every single Christian human being almost always rates the same place when it comes down to this whole business of trying to make a difference in this world with our faith, no matter what we do for our job, no matter what we do for our living, we would all love to leave a mark in this world with our life by the faith that we live. But the real question sometimes is, if we want to learn how to live a life of faith, probably the first person we'd want to go to and consult with is probably not a field goal kicker. We probably want to do something with regard to our faith. that's going to make a difference in the lives of other people. And so maybe we should go to see what really attracts the attention of Almighty God when it comes to the kind of faith that we can be living. It's one thing to have a faith that impresses other human beings. But what about a faith that always impresses Almighty God? And as busy as God is doing so many of the amazing things that he does, what would happen if we can unlock and unleash the clues that would tell us how to live a faith that would attract God's attention to how I live my life, to make a difference in this world. Well, the possibilities of that are enormous, and maybe we can even push it a little bit further. What would happen if we could study the scriptures and we can notice that when our faith is not aimed at something for ourselves, but when God says, here's an avenue to consider about faith, there will be a benefit for somebody else. And if you express your faith for the benefit of somebody else, I will pay attention to your belief. And I will stop what I'm doing. And I will turn my attention to the concern of your heart. That might do something completely different on how we even live our lives today. If our faith could be focused on the benefit of somebody else, That would attract the attention of Almighty God when he would do something supernatural for someone other than me. Keep that in mind as we read through this portion of scripture from Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. This is what the scripture says. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried up by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Of course, all of you were paying attention to the men who brought the paralytic to Jesus, the names that they were given here in Mark chapter 2. And their occupations were all listed. The resume is all in the footnote in Mark chapter 2. We have absolutely no clue who these guys are. The only thing we know about them is they had faith that Jesus Christ paid attention to on this very special occasion. Now this is Capernaum here on the map. This is the Sea of Galilee. You can see Capernaum there in the northern section of the lake. And this is a fabulous place you ever been to Israel, you have got to include Capernaum on your tour. Uh, I went to Capernaum. This is one of the tours that I was on, and this was our tour guide giving his little talk and speech uh, on on the foundation of the ruins of the synagogue in Capernaum. And it's a special, special site, and I think it's probably one of my favorite locations whenever I go to visit the Holy Land. From the porch, you can look down over the over the foundations of many of the houses there in the city. And this is the traditional foundation of the house where Peter lived. And the Catholic Church built a church over it because it's such a special and unique site. But it's amazing to stand there thinking, this is where this particular event occurred, if this was a site. And um, to think about being where Jesus actually performed this miracle when all these men brought their paralytic friend with them. When I think about some of the details of this miracle, it's just stunning to me that Jesus Christ is speaking to these men, and the Bible teaches us here in Mark 2 that Jesus was preaching to them. Now, most of us would be thinking of a man standing behind a podium and gesturing wildly and speaking very loudly and punctuating the things he says with a great deal of uh, bravado. But this this particular word that's used here to describe Jesus' communication is a, a word that refers to a serious conversation. It is conversational speech that Jesus Christ is using as he converses to all these people who are crowded into this little house that belongs to Peter and all around the house, listening through the window, listening through the open door, so much so that no one could get in to hear Jesus beyond this crowd. Now the scripture tells us that some men, now we don't know how many men actually came. It's a, it's a number that's ambiguous. It's left to us as a uncertainty. But out of that group, I mean, it could have been 30 men, it could have been 20, it could have been 10. But out of whatever group of numbers there were, four of them were carrying a litter or a stretcher with a paralytic that was on it. They couldn't get their friend in to see Jesus, so they decided that they were going to get him to Jesus no matter what. Can you imagine a friend saying, hey, look it, we got you within 20 yards of Jesus, but we couldn't get you in because the crowds were too tight. Hey, you know, good try. Maybe we'll bring you back next week. The guys didn't do that. There was a determination in their spirit that said, no matter what it took, they were going to get this guy into the presence of Jesus. So they decided that they went on top of the roof of the house. And this is a little model of the way that they built houses in those days. You see over here a house and outside stairs. So if uh, Peter's home was like that, and these guys would go on the outside stairs and go up on top of the roof over where Jesus was standing. And then they started to vandalize a private residence. Ever notice that when ministries are really successful, the person who's behind it, they write a book? No one's ever wrote, written a book about vandalizing in a sanctified way to be successful in ministry. But this, these guys went up to Peter's home and started tearing the roof off and, and big enough of a hole to lower down their friend on a litter. Now, now we, we don't ever have any pause here in the scripture to say, people came up to him and said, you know, this is, this is wrong what you guys are doing. This is a misdemeanor. This might even be a felony. But for some reason, the faith overshadowed the desire to get this man to Jesus. Now, one of the most amazing things that occurred at this particular juncture is that after this event was made and they were digging through the roof to get this person to Jesus, Jesus Christ stops his conversation, stops his speaking to all these people who've come. As he's standing there teaching, probably dirt and dust has fallen on his hair. He's wiping it off, and all of a sudden a stick falls in front of him. Then he stops speaking, and he looks up like everybody else in the house, and they look up. A hole is forming, gets bigger and bigger big enough to lower down this man on a stretcher. And then when Jesus Christ looks up at this particular event, it is stunning to think about what Jesus Christ saw. But what he saw caused Jesus Christ to do something different than what he was doing. Christ stopped teaching because he saw the faith of the friends who brought this paralytic to Jesus. Can you imagine here then the faith that Jesus Christ saw were the friends who were looking down that hole at Jesus with faces that were full of expectation. And they did that for their friend. I mean, theologically, we can actually make this observation that the benefits of our faith are transferable to somebody else in need. I didn't say our faith counts for somebody else, but the benefits of our faith are transferable to somebody else in need. Now, when you think about it from the standpoint of the theology, this is stunning because it's the faith that we have for the benefit of somebody else absolutely attracts the attention of Almighty God. I don't know what your schedules are today, but wouldn't it be amazing if we were to think about, God, I don't know who you want me to touch base with today or whose lives are going to intersect with mine, but if you want me to believe on their behalf, I will do that. In fact, if you want me to, I'll even bring them to you in prayer, maybe with others who have faith as well. Stunning to me that we almost always hear about the one person who's brought many, many people to Jesus Christ. We stand them in front and they share their testimony, and we're all amazed how one brings many. In a smaller group, we might bring up somebody who's brought several, and we'll have them share the testimony, we brought four or five people to Christ, and we're all impressed. Well, when was the last time we ever brought a group of people up? and said, this group is responsible for the faith development of this one person. One that brings many always captures our attention. But what about the many who bring the one? There's something here about not only faith being transferable for the benefit of somebody else, that captures the attention of Almighty God, but also when collective faith, collective faith for the benefit of someone else in need, capture the attention of Almighty God. Gentlemen, if we could capture this piece of practical theology and put it into our routine, how many of us would ever turn down the chance for a group of guys to come and pray for the benefit of somebody else who needs God's amazing intervention in their life? Faith that attracts the attention of Almighty God, faith that sees and believes that it is beneficial when it has its faith focused on somebody else's need. Faith that attracts the attention of Almighty God, it is a collective faith when a group of people believe in God, see the need of an individual, and together they will bring the one to Almighty God based upon their faith, believing in Him. This is a stunning passage of scripture with an overlook many times of people who sometimes may not see what is so obviously clear in this amazing event in the in the gospel of, of mark so jesus christ stopped teaching to respond to their faith it's a phenomenal thing when the benefits of faith are transferable it is stunning when collective faith is as powerful as it is demonstrated here in this passage of scripture forgiveness is the key and jesus christ looked over the apparent visible physical need of the individual and instead went straight to what counts for eternity. And that was the forgiveness of his sin. He imagines how many times that we've run across people and maybe even in our own lives when we've been so preoccupied with what is temporal and physical in this world that we've overlooked the presence of the need of our sins to be taken care of before Almighty God. Whenever we get a headache, the first thing we do is we go into the bathroom and open up the medicine cabinet and grab a bottle of aspirin because we have a physical need and we think that there's a physical solution for that pain. How many times have we ever thought to ourselves, before I even grab that bottle of aspirin, because there's something in my life that's not right, I'm going to go before God and just ask him and plead for his intervention in my life. Then go ahead and take the aspirin. This morning as you guys were walking in and I was shaking some of your hands, you know, I prayed for every single one of you. Some of you, I don't even know your names yet. I'm still trying to get that down. But boy, I looked into your eyes like I was looking into your soul. I said, God, is this the man? Is this the one? Are you gonna unleash something amazing in the city of Houston because of this guy? And when there was no one walking in, I was looking at this amazing facility. I said, God, I've, I've never been a part of, a, of an organization where I was a leader that I had to build anything even close to this size, even close to the amazing phenomenon of this particular facility. A, this is amazing, something that you have done. But God, what about all these guys that are walking in here for the study? You, you, you wanna raise up some guy to stimulate them to start to pray and bring their faith to capture your attention for the city of Houston. And God, can you do something here for the city of Houston that will not just be for our glory, but for your glory? Maybe this collective group of guys can put their faith in together for the benefit of changing this city for Jesus Christ. Something very powerful when men get together, and I, I man, I'm so thrilled that you guys are here, when men give up what they can use for themselves for the benefit of their collective presence. To do something for Almighty God, it is amazing. I'm I'm thrilled and looking forward to the month of November, because uh, one of my students in the past who graduated is pastoring a church in York, Pennsylvania. He's been there now for about uh, he's been there now for just a little over a year, and God is God has brought probably over 200 people to Christ because of his ministry, and they have a men's ministry that I get to go and speak at when I go up there in November. And that men's ministry grew out of nothing. They didn't have one before he came. He's been there for about a year and a half now. He says, Bruce, come ready to throw it down because 300 men are showing up that morning and they want to hear a word from Almighty God. Man, I'm stunned. It is amazing when men get together and there's this synergy and collectiveness about their faith where they focus on their life living in this world to make a difference for Jesus Christ because they are breathing air. Their hearts are beating and thumping for one simple purpose, and that is to make a difference for Jesus Christ. York, Pennsylvania, Who ever heard of York, Pennsylvania? It's out in the sticks, it's in the country. But who's ever heard of Houston? Absolutely the entire world. A city that is now becoming a global city. And maybe we men can make a difference of unleashing Almighty God to make an impact and touch this city for Him. If collective faith can do something amazing, maybe one of the most phenomenal things that we could possibly do as a group of guys is to ask ourselves, if this guy, if these group of guys brought this paralytic and now it's an inspired scripture to capture the attention of Almighty God, how many of us can bring guys together for the purpose of saying, let's see what God could do to unleash himself through our faith and belief in him for the benefit of other guys in this city. Well, bring some of these guys to Warriors Heart. I mean, we're not here just to, to glorify ourselves with numbers, but we are here to ask God one very simple thing, not to make us smarter, but hopefully we're getting there. It's just a beneficiary of all this other stuff. But can we see God use our lives together to start a fire, to do something that will change the city of Houston and make it a tremendously bright light for him here in the fastest growing city in the United States. Sins are forgiven. It's not just about getting together. Doubt of the teachers is going to be phenomenal. They were thinking themselves, thinking the same thought, critical and negative toward Jesus. Now, this is one of those fascinating passages of Scripture. Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. You ever been in that kind of situation? All of us who are men who have the privilege of being married know what that's like. You had a thought, your wife looks at you and she says, "What are you thinking that for?" Ah, I wasn't. I didn't say a thing. I know you didn't say a thing, but I know you well enough. I know you, boy. When my wife says that to her to me, I'm thinking, man, oh man, this this is amazing. It's a prophetess in my own home. And Jesus Christ does the same thing to these these critical guys. And these critical guys are thinking, who can forgive sins but God alone? Their theology was right, but their application was wrong. They failed to see that Jesus Christ was God, and he had the prerogative to forgive sins, just like his own identity declared that he could do that. It's an amazing phenomenon, and we know what's right, but our application is terribly, terribly wrong. Forgive sins, God alone, that's an exclusive privilege of Him. When we look about this whole thing and what the Scripture is saying, Jesus Christ did this so that they can know that truth, and as a result, be amazed and praise Him. I asked myself in the preparation of this lesson, when was the last time I was a part of anything that I was amazed at Almighty God? amazed at what he could do and resulted in that amazement, giving him praise for what he has done for us. So we come to this particular end and thinking about the highlights of what this faith is all about that will attract the attention of Almighty God. It's a faith that's focused on the person of Jesus Christ. He is our attention getter. Collective selflessness from the standpoint of the benefit of somebody else, it is for them. Sometimes we might hesitate. Well, God, I, if I'm going to capture your attention, I, I want it for me. But if we could just release all of that and say, God, i want to express my faith today for this coworker. God, I want to unleash your amazing power and grace for the benefit of this neighbor. God, I, I want to unleash your power for the benefit of this person who is a, who is a direct report to me. What would happen if our faith unleashes the power of Almighty God for the benefit of someone else. Transferable benefit. The scripture tells us this other one, true faith is tenacious. It will not quit. If we get up to a crowded building and that was our destination, we couldn't get the guy in, did we quit and say, we'll try it again next week? Or we try to push our way through the crowd, even being rude. Or even then we would say, let's find a way in that no one has ever thought about. Let's be creative about this even tearing off the roof to make a hole to bring this guy in. That's the kind of faith that attracts the attention of Almighty God, tenacious, selfless for the benefit of somebody else, collective in its power, realizing what we could do together, far more stimulating than what we could do by ourselves. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.